Hello, and welcome once again to In the Secret. If you're new to this podcast, it is a daily devotional going through the 91st Psalm, one verse at a time. I again encourage listeners to memorize this chapter, great weapon for your arsenal. And I'd also like to hear how you are doing during these coronavirus days and how Psalm 91 has ministered to you. I'd love to share your story. I'm also hearing that school for this entire year is most likely canceled. The length and depth of this continues to take my breath away. I'm fine hold up for a week or two, but now it's kind of like I'm standing on the Lake Superior shoreline looking out and I can't see the end. I know there's an end, just can't see it. And the seclusion is definitely bringing out the best and the worst in people. I love hearing tales of humans helping each other. Like the uh, Four Seasons Hotel in Manhattan is letting essential workers stay there for free. Our local gas station is giving coffee for free to essential workers. Hey, it's not the Four Seasons Hotel, but it helps them, right? It's encouraging. There's also a darker side to seclusion. We can start to feel depressed when we're cut off from other people when we're alone, and when we're uncertain. Even if you are working during this time, you are cut off from other things you would normally do. And you're also working while others seem to be just lollygagging at home. Think of all the things that have been canceled, vacations, weddings, jobs that are lost. Depression is just going to slither in if we let it. I'm going to share a little more about that in a minute. Let's take a look here at Psalm 91, verse 9. I love this verse. It feels very personal, especially in the King James. The author seems to pause, put his eyes right on the reader, and says, Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation. It's saying, because thou, because you So the next few verses after this aren't just for any old somebody. This is for the one who's chosen to live with God, surrounded daily by God's presence. And this verse pairs nicely with Psalm 71, verse 3. Be thou my strong habitation, whereunto I may continually resort. Thou hast given commandment to save me, for thou art my rock and my fortress. Maybe I've been watching a few too many nature videos on Netflix, but this verse had me thinking about prairie dogs. Prairie dogs stay close to their little mounds, they scavenge for food, and they bark at one another. But the minute they see um, anything that scares them, like a coyote ambling along and sniffing under the brush, those little critters dive right into their burrows. And that's what it means to make God our habitation. His presence is where we dive at the least sign, even if it's imagined, of trouble. And I also love this uh, verse from Proverbs 30. It's a neat little picture of a mountain-dwelling rodent that's called the coney or the hydrix. It says, the conies are but a feeble folk yet they make their houses in the rock. Feeble folk. That's you and I. I know. We like to think that, you know, we're warriors with our swords. 
But God actually compares us to grass and says that he has pity on us because he knows our frame, that we're like dust. That sounds pretty feeble to me. So we're to look at these conies because these feeble furry fellows make their home in the rock. No bird of prey can snatch them out of a rocky hollow. Despite their small size and their helplessness, they position themselves by the rock. And you and I have the rock because Jesus is called the rock. We may be feeble, but we are strong. When we dive into that rock, we are safe and protected from the diving birds that want to destroy us. Now I know a lot of us have been living in that rock a long time, and it's not the presence of God, but it's having to hide for so long that begins to wear us down a bit, begins to make us depressed. And I understand depression. I've experienced it through the years a number of times. Sometimes it was due to financial problems, loneliness or rejection, or all of the above, all hitting at the same time. But I do remember this one time I had been extremely depressed and I was driving. I had a long ways to go and I would popped in a message that I had never listened to. Uh, and it was by a woman named Elizabeth Elliot. In the 1950s, Elizabeth accompanied her husband and three other couples to the jungles of Ecuador, where they hoped to reach a dangerous native tribe of Indians known as the Akas. Things initially seemed to be going nicely, but then one day the four husbands were found dead in a river. They'd been murdered by the very people they came to reach. Now, the beautiful part of the story is that Elizabeth went on to live with those same Akas just a couple of years later, and many of these uh, Akas became believers, even the ones who killed their husbands. But between the time she heard of her husband's death and before she was able to go live among the Akas, she had to make some choices. In the message that I was listening to, she said that she was holding her 10-month-old daughter as these men came to her hut in the jungle and told her what had taken place. And though she was filled with sorrow, she put down her baby and she began to sweep the floor. These men who came to comfort her wondered if she was in denial or mad with grief. Elizabeth said, I knew I had to do the next right thing. The floor was dirty and it needed swept, so I swept it. Through the years, Elizabeth would be no stranger to suffering. She said, suffering is never for nothing. The deeper the suffering, the deeper the lesson. And when you're overwhelmed, just keep doing the next right thing. Let me read you a poem that she wrote. Do the next thing. Do it immediately. Do it with prayer. Do it reliantly, casting all care. Do it with reverence, tracing his hand, who placed it before thee with earnest command. Stayed on omnipotence, safe beneath his wing do the next thing. When I listened to that message, my dying heart took a deep, fresh breath. 
I could do that. I could do the next right thing. That lesson stuck with me. Even when I was working with troubled kids, after they had damaged some furniture, pulled my hair, we had to chase them down the road, they'd feel remorse. And a lot of times what they would say is, I hate myself. So I would tell them Elizabeth's story. And I would say, do the next right thing. Because when you do the next right thing, not just the thing you feel like, but the next right thing, then you will feel, you'll feel good about yourself. And it's going to make a difference. And then do the next one after that and after that. There is a way out of that depression. God promises us that. We have to listen to his voice instead of just running to video games, Netflix, long naps. What is the next right thing? Do that. Now, it was interesting because when I planned to share this story, I went on YouTube to see if I could find that old message, and I couldn't find it. But I did discover that the new Frozen movie has a song called Do the Next Right Thing. You might already have known that song was there, but I didn't. And when I watched the video, I was amazed. Anna is in a scene where she's basically in the rocks and she's overwhelmed with sadness. And she's coming to grips with the fact that to go on, she has to do the next right thing. So let's end with these words from the song. The next choice is one that I can make. So I'll walk through this night, stumbling blindly towards the light and do the next right thing. And with it done, what comes then? When it's clear that everything will never be the same again, then I'll make that choice to hear that voice and do the next right thing. You're hiding in the rock. You're hiding in God. He is your refuge. Listen to his voice. And while you're there, keep on doing the next right thing. God bless you. And we'll be talking to you again soon.